Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. I am with you today with another fantastic woman, now from Maine. So proud of how many phenomenal women uh, and leaders and light workers are here in Maine. Today, I bring you Dr. Emily Wilson. Emily is a pelvic floor physical therapist a birth healing specialist, the only one in Maine as of now, and the founder of Pelvic Wisdom Physical Therapy. I'm so excited to bring her to you today because Emily's one of these people that as soon as I met her, I trusted her. I felt safe in her presence. I, I felt like I could say anything and be my full authentic self. And, and for me, that, that, feeling of safety doesn't come often um, these days. So I, I wholeheartedly appreciate people like Emily. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Such kind words. I love it. <laughs> so happy to be here. Yay. Now, Emily, you just recently moved to Maine from Colorado, right? Yep. And you opened up a private practice, which I already, that's just brave and badass already. Cause <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what is a pelvic floor physical therapist? Yeah, good question. So pelvic floor is the muscles inside your pelvis. There's a sling or a hammock of muscles that function there to help support us, hold in bowels and bladder. And then they also are used during childbirth. So all these good, like supportive things that they do, if those muscles aren't functioning well, just like any other physical therapist, we can work on those muscles. So as a PT, we are specialized in the musculoskeletal system and the same here. We have so many muscles down here and bones and nerves and all those things. And when those muscles and nerves and bones and everything in between isn't working well, then the dysfunction happens. And that's when patients come to see me or hopefully start to hear about me, even though it's taboo stuff down there. Like we're starting to get the word out there and it's becoming more popular what I do and how I do it. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. One of my goals in this podcast is to make things less taboo, reducing the shame, not just in Maine, but throughout the world of talking about our pelvic health. And, um, and one of the one in my holistic personal training work, I talk about pelvic strengthening and softening, um, mm-hmm. as we talk about, you know, Kegels and incontinence and, um, orgasms and, but the thing that comes up most every day is how women don't enjoy what they want to do, be it running or jumping or playing or walking, or even taking a long drive without peeing, like peeing. This is a big deal. I, I don't know at what age it becomes the biggest deal, but I, my world revolves around where the closest bathroom is seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing that I have patients that map out their day based on the bathrooms. The pandemic made that awful for a lot of people. Yes, it did. And, and then the same thing, like they're like, I need to go home. And as soon as they're pulling in the driveway, they put the key in the door, their bladder, like has a temper tantrum. They feel like they need to run to the bathroom. We actually call that key in the door syndrome. Like bladder has become this controlling factor in our life. And for some people, unfortunately, bowels can kind of be the same way. So I help people learn how to kind of tame tame those and be mind over bladder is the joke I always say, but realistically, (laughs) right? Like how do we get that control? And a lot of times, Pasha, it's coming from the pelvic floor muscles being too tight. Mm -hmm. So I can explain that a little bit more in depth if that would help. 
Well, so I, think I think it's really interesting to, to note that it's not necessarily because you need to do more Kegels or pelvic floor strengthening. Um, because right. I, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as women to like strengthen more, do more extra, this extra, that when it's sometimes a complete opposite. So yes. Yeah. So I would say like right now in my practice, 0% of my patients are doing Kegels. No yeah. one's, I, I, everyone, I said, no, no Kegels. You're all in this tension or hypertension um, category. So we think about like another physical therapist would say you have tight muscles or trigger points, same thing in the pelvic floor girdle. These muscles are tight and they're either causing the bladder to be kind of in a, a tension environment. Like the bladder's unhappy because of all this tension around it where the muscles are actually causing weakness in the muscles, which are causing leakage, but that sounds backwards. So the muscles are tight. I think of these like doors at the bottom of our hammock, they need to open to let urine or bowels out. Then they need to close to kind of hold all those things in. What happens if the muscles are really tight? Sometimes it's hard to open those doors. So those are my patients that are having trouble releasing urine. They're pushing their urine out, which is something we really don't want to do to stress our pelvic floor. They're also having frequent UTIs. They can have pain with intercourse or intimacy and referring pain in like your lower abdomen over your ovaries. So that's a scary place to be painful or in our low back and that little like dimple, we call it our PSIS and it trickles down into your butt cheek. So those people have a hard time relaxing and opening the door to urinate. The other category of tension is the muscles are tight, but they're like, they don't close well. So instead of my hammock, I imagine it now is like theater curtains and the top rungs are stuck. So now we can't get full closure. So it's Mm -hmm. like we have a leaky seal. Mm -hmm. So it's just like that full range of motion isn't there. So Mm -hmm. now we're walking around with the seal open, coughing, sneezing, laughing, jumping, working out with you, things like that. Leakage can happen. And so these people, they know they leak. So they think they have to do Kegels because that's mostly what the internet's telling us or that our gynos told us or OB. So we do the Kegels and it doesn't make it better. It actually makes it worse. And then the problems cascade into pain with intercourse, the pain we talked about or other issues that come up for them. So really kind of backwards to what we're telling people on the internet. Yes. And so what would be, cause there's some woman out there, including me right now saying, well, what's the thing that I'm supposed to do then if not the Kegels, if my theater curtains are kinked, like how, how, how do I, <laughs> and I'm just leaking and leaking. Is there, is right. there one little right. thing that you can give us as a tidbit without going through a whole, um, you know, <laughs> treatment? Right through the rabbit yeah. hole. Everyone's a little bit okay. different. So for most people, I would say to just generalize in your head and start like imagining if you were to Kegel, it's like a flower is closed up at night. And if you were to relax the flowers opening at night. So a lot of my patients are working on how do I find that relaxation? Or how do I make sure I'm in that hammock instead of pulled up like a Kegel or a trampoline? Because most of us are walking in that trampoline all the time. We just have that Mm. constant tension. Mm -hmm. So being mindful and realizing like, am I clenching my butt cheeks or holding the muscles like in between my sit bones up and in like a Kegel? Can I let that go? Mm. That's the first step. I would say mindfulness is another really good step. Like if you can take a moment to meditate or do a little self-care, but then if it's not getting better, which it most likely you won't be able to like fix it all on your own. If there's some kind of structural issue or fascial issue or scar tissue or emotional, mm-hmm. spiritual issue or trauma there, 
then that's when I would say the next step would be find a PT in your area, pelvic floor specialist who can help you release those muscles and find like, how'd you get in this situation? How did this happen? Yes. And you, you said my favorite word outside of mama, (laughs) outside of mama and chocolate, maybe (laughs) trauma. So trauma, like is trauma, not the root of all of our pain and suffering. Like seriously, it just seems to keep, it keeps coming up in, in the theme in, in this podcast. People are like, why are you doing a pleasure podcast when you just talk about trauma? But I see (laughs) this as so interconnected because even right now we're talking about healing our trauma so that we can take a walk comfortably or so we can feel comfortable traveling so we can have um, more sexual confidence or awareness or this on and on the pleasures come from less angst and um and suffering about it so I see the trauma and the pleasures completely Mm -hmm. connected um but in regards to trauma um do you feel that we, when we talked, we were talking about birth trauma. Do you feel yeah. like that's an kind of untapped trauma story that, that a lot of, um, I'll say women in particular are holding onto and not even realizing? Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you would know there's a realm of, of trauma, you know, a, a scale we could say. And I think people hear the word trauma and they jump to something really bad had to happen to me or to my body. And that's not always necessarily the case. A lot of times I'm seeing these little T traumas from birth because it wasn't what they planned. They didn't plan the doctor to have like five other students in there watching. They didn't plan to have the episiotomy and the doctor cut without telling them. They didn't plan baby not to come right up on the chest baby had to be like worked on for a couple minutes, or they thought they were going to lose baby for a moment, or they were under distress, like all these little pieces of the puzzle. Like even if baby and mom are like safe and happy and years out, they can still be like imprinted for the mom and the baby and causing this kind of ripple effect through generational. And so when you're talking about healing, healing birth trauma, you're not just talking about the for, for example, the birth, baby's eye birth, but my birth experience for myself, you could. my you mother's could, yeah. experience. Yeah. Right. You can go, you can go way back. I'm sure generations back. And so how do you go about what's the process of healing birth trauma? How do you go about doing that? Yeah. So if it's a a new mom and she's ready and willing to like write down her birth story or talk about it, um, there's been studies that say when we even just write it down for ourselves, that's decreasing the amount of PTSD we can have around that. So I say, okay, go do that. That's your homework is to write it down or at least tell me about it. And then I want you, if you can, and you're able to call your mom and discuss it with her and see how your stories match up from when she gave birth to you and when you gave birth to your baby, we're typically starting to see like threads that come through generationally. Like you both had someone in the room you didn't want, or you both had that mother-in-law that you like had to push out of the room, whatever piece of the puzzle it is, we're seeing it generationally and hearing that can start to be really healing for moms. 
If we need to take it a step further, a lot of times I'll look into what the musculature is saying, if it's messaging trauma or if it's messaging safety, especially in the psoas muscle, which runs along the spine. And I think of it more as connective tissue from Liz Cook's work and her studies than a muscle. So I really don't think it should be like poked or prodded because it's messaging these signals in our body of either like neutral, positive or negative trauma and like scared fear, those kind of things. So a lot of times when I tune into that with a patient gently and safely with their consent, then this birth stuff comes up and we heal it. We move through it. We reprocess. Sometimes it's as simple as if there was someone in the room, they didn't want like an ex-husband, we push them out of the room as we replay or we like, how would you have rather it gone? And we redo the story the way they want. And I'll tell you, they sit up Pasha and their face is like a different color. They have rosy cheeks again. They have like a smile maybe tears were associated with it too, but we heal that and they leave and their pelvic floor tensions a lot less. So their symptoms get better. But I think my favorite part of it is when they come back and they're like, my six-year-old son changed his behaviors. I didn't even say anything to him, but my mirrors, uh, my nervous system is now changed. And so the baby or the kid or the adult is shifting their behavior because of the way I'm showing up from the birth that, or the birth that we had. Yes. And that, that brings me to the, to the next part of what I love that you teach is that if you if you heal the matriarch in the family, that you can heal the family, which is a lot of um, responsibility. And sometimes, and I was resisting that at first uh, because a lot of uh, therapists were bringing it up. If I heal, my son's illness will heal. And I didn't want that added pressure and responsibility. And yet I knew part of my healing was my part in it or even how the illness, um, serves me or serves him and looking at those, like the shadow sides are really scary. Um, but I think asking difficult questions is just part of the, part of the process. But when you, when you talk about healing the matriarch, um, in terms of their nervous system being mirrored by the, by the children, um, I guess my, I guess one of my first questions is like, what about the other partner involved (laughs) and like, and why is it so much the mother? I just wonder, like, I, I know that we birthed, birthed them, but, um, but in terms of their nerve, our nervous system being mirrored, why is it still decades later about the mother child connection? The diet. Yeah. I mean, women, like we 3d print babies, right? Like that's super awesome, super creative. And when you're doing that and holding the baby in your womb space, like, can you go back and you remember that feeling of, of your children and that pregnancy and baby kicking or learning about baby for the first time, that connection is like no other, even if the child is not in your life anymore. Um, you can still connect to them through this like energetic umbilical cord. You can send them energy, especially if like there's been an argument or disagreement and you're not talking at the moment, you can send them energy through the umbilical cord and start to heal and just offer them something. A lot of moms want to give something. And if it's not received or they can't, this is a way you can still do it. You almost like sneak around it energetically and like give them some healing or give them something, um, to help yourself heal. So I think that connection of having that energy of growing a baby is the biggest part, um, of the story. 
But what I will say is like when a matriarch heals and mom can get her time and she says, you know, pedicure is what I need once a month, or I really need an hour or two away or a trip away once a year to have that time for myself and her nervous system recalibrates, she's going to show up differently for her partner as well. And so he's, or he or she are going to be able to kind of have a stronger bond that way. I mean, we kind of know these things, but that's what's happening there. And then the other thing I will say is even um, the partner who's not birthing, they can have trauma that comes into the birth room as well. Yes. So we can still see that where um, Anna Verawal talks about, she first noticed these like cyclical patterns in birth happening generationally when a husband was in the corner of the room during his wife crowning during delivery. And he had his hands on his head and he started squeezing and pulling up. And like, just like eyes glazed over, like doing this motion, squeezing his head as hard as he could. And she was like, what is going on? Mm. And the birth happened, the birth finished. Then grandmas came to visit. And this nurse, Anna, she asked, why, why was he doing that? What, tell me about your son's birth with you. Like, how did that go? And she was like, oh, it was a horrible delivery. It was a forcep and they had to use a vacuum. And he was replaying the forceps. Yes. And being pulled out of the birth canal as his baby was crowning. So I thought that was such an interesting way to still see that all of it will show up. Um, But I think typically as children, we just like run towards mirroring mom's nervous system. That's just kind of because they've grown the baby and that deep connection is there. Yeah. It's my thought process at least. (laughs) No, it, it make it does. It does make sense. Um, quite a bit. And it's something I'm, I'm extremely uh, sensitive to right now. Um, and I notice that part of that, as you were saying, is also the, the stepping away and to honor mm-hmm. our own boundaries and how that, that stepping away serves our nervous system. And now it's very healing for the child to see that self-care and see those clear bound, that clear boundary setting. Um, and to right. know that they're not the well, they still might be the center of my universe, even as I step away, <clears throat> that they feel that I'm okay without them and that they're okay without me, that I'm not the only person in the world who can nurture them, hug them, give them food and medicine or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a drink because I have a tickle. Yeah, please. A tickle in my throat. <laughs> um, so ha- what are the patterns you notice with the, with the birth stories, whether it's C-section or VBAC or vaginal, like, I'm just curious, like, are there patterns you're like, wow, this keeps coming up, this theme, this pattern, it's just fascinating. I'm just curious what you've experienced. Yeah. So like, for instance, to give people like an example, a C-section baby is typically going to show up a lot different than like a preemie baby. And it like birth pattern, like psychological stuff and patterns in their life and behaviors. So C-section baby, and it depends if it was emergency or breach or whatever the means for the C-section, or if they did get some labor in, typically they freeze under like pressure because they weren't allowed to finish the job in labor. So they typically just like kind of freeze and go into this freeze reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say they had the cord around their neck. They typically tend to feel like they're choking during stress or they hate wearing scarves, ties, that kind of thing. Um, The preemie baby, they 
And, oh, let me say this first, the C-section baby, they typically, they're the babies that are clinging to you. They want like heavy touch. They want to be held. They want to be hugged all the time because they didn't get like a vaginal birth. They, they got that squeeze. They got that input, that activation. So they don't need that as much. Not that they, they can't be loving and nurturing and want hugs and stuff, but you see these C-section babies want more of that input where the preemie baby that was in an incubator for so many days, months, whatever it was, every time they were touched was poking and prodding or drawing blood or unexpected and stressful. So they typically hate light touch or just any kind of touch that's unexpected. So it's really interesting to start think about like a relationship, like an adult relationship that you go into, like we should know what our trauma or birth trauma was. Cause if, if I was a preemie, don't freaking touch me on the side of the bed when I'm doing my own thing. Cause I'm not, I'm going to pull away. And if that makes you upset, this is why this is the trauma and, and we can work on healing it, of course, but it's really cool to have that conversation in a relationship to know how to best hold each other and support each other or like step away. Yes. I would, th- that would be such a fabulous, my marriage and family therapy hat. That would be a fascinating <laughs> couples therapy session to talk about their birth stories. And, and, and then I'm thinking, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't have their parents around to ask. Um, so right. I wonder if it's, if it's somehow in, in your work, do you ever energetically bring out those uh, memories on a cellular level, if they can't physically have the conversation with their parents? Yeah. So I've had that where we talked about a little bit prior about that. So as release, that's what came up was her birth experience. I wasn't quite sure what was happening at first, but as she described it, I knew what it was. So we replayed and remodeled that birth experience. Um, myself a little bit harder on yourself to do. I will say like I was using tennis balls and trying to relax and half meditating and half leading myself. But what came up was my birth experience. And I was like, oh, crap, here we go. We got to heal it. But I was so glad that I was able to tune into it. And there were pieces of the puzzle that came up for me that then I was lucky enough to be able to call my mom and confirm with her. And she was like, yes, your head was back. I remember that. Like my head was really back when I was doing it. And I couldn't figure it out. And the pressure and the squeezing and then a disassociation from an epidural for a, an eventual C-section that labor couldn't mm. progress. And it was so healing to do that and to realize kind of where some of my patterns came from and reprocess them. But I would say it's like, got to be the right patient and the right fit. I'm pretty intuitive how I work, what comes to me at the right time I know is right for that right patient. Um, And we guide it based on both of our comfort level and both of our intuition. I want the patient to be in tune and know and be comfortable with what's happening as well. So it it can happen in the clinic like that. And there's other practitioners in the world that work a little bit more with fetal experiences. We have cellular memories. They say even up to conception that we can remember these things. And this is all based on like prenatal and perinatal psychology. Mm -hmm. So now the studies and research are coming out that say we do have memories of these things. Very cool. I, I imagine I'm not alone in this. I had the experience with my third child, my, my youngest, Jamie, who's 13 now. I knew 
in the moment of perhaps even before conception, but I knew <laughs> in the moment I was like, oh, like <laughs> before he pulled out, I was like, oh, that's how, that's how fast I knew that I was yeah. pregnant, even though, um, even though I was on uh, birth control and it was not a good time to get pregnant, nor was I trying to get pregnant. Um, so do you have, have you had a lot of conversations with mothers who just knew they had conceived? I guess I haven't quite heard it like you said it. So it's really interesting to hear that. I'm sure it's because you're in tune and maybe you had this like um, his spirit kind of waiting to come come into your womb and into your body. Um, So I think if you're in tune enough, you can feel that. But I really haven't heard too many stories like that where where the mom was just like, yep, that 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 was it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I always wondered. Um, so I, I love that. It's it, yeah. It's, it's always, it's, a, it's always made me feel um, empowered because I was like, I validated, you know, my intuition. Um, I've also been yeah. told that our cord is too short and we're too enmeshed and I'm working on that. Um, so it comes with, with uh, <laughs> difficulties as well. But um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. And I think for me, I'm one of those people who like the more information, the better, even if it's difficult conversations, even if it's going back into trauma on a cellular level, like, I feel like the more information we have, the better. And the more we can sit with our intuition, the better. Um, but I find myself often also, I'll just say in my own partnership, my own marriage, like my husband, my husband's like, why, do we always have to talk about such serious things? Why does it always have to be about, you know, trauma and birth stories and like getting into it and going deep. And so I assume when somebody comes to your practice, they're already kind of with the mindset that they're going to explore some areas that they haven't um, explored in the past. Do you, how do you bridge that gap? Like for somebody who's just not, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically prepared to hear all that, that transpires in the session. How do you, how do you establish that safe space? Yeah. And I'll say real quick to wrap up, like our, our last thought about birthing and all of those things. I'll say like, if you are a birthing person who gave birth to someone, like none of this podcast is meant to make you feel bad about the way you gave birth. It was all divine it was hap- happened as it was supposed to. And I think the best example I can give for that is like, even though my birth experience was not what my mom expected and ended up in some dissociation for myself that I've been healing, it was exactly what I needed. It made sense that I like dissociated and had a little bit easier childhood being like a super intuitive, empathic person and sensitive. Like that stuff didn't come up in childhood because I'd had a break from it. And then in my twenties, I learned about it and I was able to grasp it, but I didn't have the struggle of all this like information and intuitive stuff when I was young. So it happened how it was supposed to happen. And the same thing for someone who's given birth, it is exactly how it's supposed to happen. But if you want to go back and heal it for yourself or for your child, you can do that. So there's resources for that. And I suppose this is also a good time to talk about women who have experienced abortion or miscarriage that that too, you know, is experienced to be honored that that happened as it, as it should happen for them at that moment. Um, Yes. Yeah. And they can still connect energetically to that soul, even if that soul is not with us or if they've lost that baby. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think that's so beautiful that you can go back to remembering the baby in your womb kicking or when you learned about conception and that excitement or that feeling and, and that love that you have under, underneath those other feelings and how that Absolutely. felt to, to carry that soul. Um, and that, that, that was a purpose in your life. That was a piece of the piece of the puzzle for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I hope everyone feels like a little bit more heard and validated with that language. Cause sometimes you're right. It is hard to talk about birthing and to not feel guilty or shame or grief or any of that. Absolutely. Do you think, um, and I, I, I will remember what I asked you before, cause I know we're, yeah. back, but do you think there's still that, um, narrative that, you know, vaginal births and breastfeeding for a year or two years is, is, you know, where you're is good and everything, you know what I mean? Like, is there still that narrative or is it starting to evolve and, and shift and expand some? Yeah, we still see that a lot. And I'll tell you, like people come in feeling grief or guilt or shame because they weren't able to give the vaginal birth that they were hoping for. And that's where I hope the healing with me or that I can give them to work on comes through to the point where they can kind of release that. I know they did everything they were supposed to do. It was, it happened as it was supposed to happen for them and for baby and family, right? Like it's all like gonna sort itself out, or this was a challenge that was supposed to be worked through. Yes. But here's the flip side of that. I have a lot of patients that come in and they have C-section deliveries and maybe I've heard like a husband or two or a lot of husbands, let's say that or two like, or a hundred, oh, my wife had a C-section, <laughs> right? I was like, now that I like calculated in my head that say, Oh, my wife had a C-section. So she'll be fine. She won't need pelvic therapy or she won't have any issues. So oh, a lot really? of times I think just because it was a C-section birth, they feel like they get kind of swept under the rug you just as much need pelvic floor therapy, if not more, they cut into the tissue right over your uterus, they cut into your uterus and this tissue lies over your bladder. And so this can cause issues years, decades. I've I've even seen women in there. Like I saw someone just before we called that, you know, years down the road, the hysterectomy scar that she had in her thirties has equaled bowel and bladder incontinence. Yes, I see it in my work as- pelvic, uh, you know, lower yeah. abdominal, um, weakening scar tissue deconditioning, which leads to lower back pain. Um, there's a numbness around the scar. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I would say more, it, right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just as much emphasis needs to be put on it to make mom feel like she's comfortable. She can engage. Cause almost it's like, if you imagine they call your uterus, your second heart. So if your heart and your uterus can't connect like energetically, if there's not this flow, I imagine like a golden like river trickles down and it can trickle back up. But let's say the C-section scars there or an abdominal scar, it's like this, like a wall, right? Like a brick wall in that flow. So a lot of my patients, they can't feel that like it stops and we have to work on the scar tissue or energetically work on bringing that down because it's affecting intimacy and pleasure. Like you said, way back in the beginning, we're looping it back here. They're not getting that energetic flow down and that pleasure and that scar tissue just kind of blocks us energetically. That is fascinating. I'm meeting with Emily next, next <laughs> week. Lucky me. And this is on my list. I'm saying it out loud because I want to remember yes. it. I want you to remember it because yeah, intimacy has been hard since my third baby, which was my second C-section. My first one 
25 years ago was an emergency C-section. Then I had a V-back yeah. and then yeah. my, and my youngest was a scheduled C-section because of a hip replacement surgery. But, um, but that is exactly how it feels that the energy is blocked. It feels like a marathon between my head and mind space and pleasure yeah. uh, down to my pelvis. It's like, it's like this cavernous <laughs> you know, leap. Oh, and so, so, yeah. And so, yes, I think, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And, um, and it's so good to say it out loud because mm-hmm. obviously to normalize it and to reduce shame around it, but to, to claim it and say, okay, I struggle with intimacy. I feel blocked. And now, now I can find somebody like you to talk about it, to start to release those blockages, open the energy channels. Then I feel empowered rather than shamed, right. you know, or blocked and stuck. And I'm so, so glad you want to work on that. Cause that was on my short list for you. <laughs> like we both were intuitively like, that. in, in tune. Great. Like I was like, Oh, we got to like, and then we eventually we connect like womb and heart too. And then womb and woman head too so it goes all the way yeah. up and down we're going to connect yeah, all those energy spaces. Flow. I know that's great I I, I learned um a couple years ago um when I saw a picture of the um the larynx and the cervix how they're so connected the the throat chakra and the sacral chakra and yes. I loved the connection and I took it to heart and I started speaking my mind and clearly I say what's on my mind and I started to be unfiltered and it's helped so much connect to my womb space and my sexuality and sensuality, but that doesn't mean that intimacy is easy. It's so funny. I could talk about pleasure all the time, but I have trouble receiving it. So I think that's where, for me, the blockage still is. And I never connected it to a potential um, C-section scar, um, you know, circumstance. So yeah, I think, I think it's fascinating. And I hope there's a lot of listeners out there going like, Oh, like a light bulb, like, oh, just a different way of thinking about our, Mm -hmm. um, our physical and energetic bodies. And so I'm lucky enough to already know you and feel safe going to your office, but somebody else might be like, what do I do? I call up a pelvic floor physical therapist in Oklahoma. And then I go in and talk to he or she about all this. Like how, how do you recommend somebody find somebody? And then how do you think safe space tying it back can be created? Um, what do you think people should be looking for as they're starting to, to do this work? Cause it's sensitive and intimate. Yeah. I would start with just a simple Google search, pelvic floor, physical therapist in my town. Um, see what comes up. Don't be afraid to scroll through a little bit, especially if someone doesn't have as much CEO and hasn't been in the game as long, they might be further down the list. That doesn't mean they're less qualified. You'll find that some people are solopreneurs and other people are in practices. Um, So that's going to give you a different feel with where you go. Mm -hmm. Typically people who are like running their own business, it's all their values. It's what they want to be doing. It's going to be a different feel from someone in a bigger clinic. Yes. Um, You can still find great people in bigger clinics. You just have to know what feels best for you. So that's one way you can start to kind of weed out what feels better for you. I would say go through and read, read the bios of these people and read what kind of research they they've done or what classes, what, what is their specialty? And don't be hesitant to call and ask like, 
is this person great at pelvic pain? If that's your thing, like that's my thing. That's not everyone's thing. Right. Or for men, does this person treat men? Does this person treat children? Do they have experience? And then if it, if it means a visit and you don't like them, or you can do a consultation and you don't like them, then you move on and you find what fits best for you. Um, I took my training through Herman and Wallace. It's an institute. They have a directory you can look at. Um, so there's a couple directories online. The APTA, our, our physical therapy association has, has a directory as well. We're not all on certain directories. Um, I would say if you're looking more towards like my work and how I do a little bit more like spiritual trauma, emotional body, releasing things, I would look through the Institute of birth healing. Good. That's where I've gotten like these key things and where I've learned like that birth healing specialty from. Okay. Okay. Um, I love that. And, um, thank you. I, I also will go for myself when I'm trying to, um, choose somebody, I'll go to their Facebook, I'll go to their Instagram. I'll watch a video to just energetically see if I connect with their, their voice, their, their pace, their heart. Uh, so yeah, I would encourage people to, to, yeah, do, do the research and make sure you feel, um, feel safe. And you offer not just in-person appointments, but something virtually, which is going to make people really happy to hear. So what, what do you offer virtually right now? Yeah. So I'm in Portland, Maine area in the state of Maine. I can treat you under my license as physical therapy, even virtually if needed. Um, but then when we get outside of Maine or outside of the USA, then I can do virtual treatments that are more, um, a wellness or consulting. So they wouldn't be under the physical therapy benefit or umbrella, I would say, um, we can do coaching, wellness, energetic work. We can go through your birth story. We can start to sense into your body, give you things to meditate on, how to shift, how to move, connect womb and heart space. Like we had talked about before, things like that can be done virtually. So there's, there's options for that, or it's helping you with a bit of that spiritual stuff and emotional stuff, and then connecting you with a great provider in your area, which I help you handpick. That's fantastic. It's a beautiful resource. Absolutely. I highly recommend people reaching out to you, Emily. And um, I've already, it's so funny. I haven't even met with you yet as a, as a client, but I'm already referring people to you because you just really are one of those people who just at just second one, um, you're, you've, you're safe and you're, and you're wholehearted and you're Aww. thoughtful um, and obviously wise and, and well-trained. Um, but for me, what I really care about is that initial um, safety and, and empathy. So, so thank you for being that human, um, and being out there sharing your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I'll leave the, under the show notes, obviously ways to find Emily on social media and, um, and her website. And then also in the show notes, um, I'll leave a, I, I offer a free coaching call. I call it a liberation call. So I'm always so excited to speak with listeners, hear your stories, share stories. Um, and I offer uh, one-on-one and group coaching sessions. And then if you like this conversation and we sure hope you did, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend, a loved one. Um, and, and, you know, Keep, keep spreading the word. Um, we're, we're really excited to be here to offer these conversations to you. So it really does help when you subscribe and share because it, it keeps us fueled and motivated, but it also helps spread the word. So thank you. And thank you, Emily, for being here.
Thank you. Thanks for, thank you for talking about taboo things with me. Like if people just keep talking about them, we're going to find more people that get relief. If so I ever do, that's a big deal for me. So good. And if I ever do an episode about like sports or weather or cooking, you will know I am in a very bad space. <laughs> so yeah, this is my jam. The more taboo, the better. So yes, I'm, good. I'm lit up by it. So thank you. Thanks, Emily. All right. Thank you. Bye.